the incomparable. Number 502, February 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And in this episode, episode uh, 502, by the way, we're going to harken back to episode two and do a comic book club. Our members of the comic book club, a little bit different, but uh, there's one who was here in episode two and who's here now with me. It's Lisa Schmeiser. Hi, Lisa. Hi there. I'm here. Vertigo is not. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. A feeling of Vertigo. Episode two. (laughs) You can listen to it. Vertigo Comics doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Also here, a veteran of the incomparable of many, many episodes, Moises Chuyon. Hello. Professor S, if you say it must be done, <laughs> it must be done and it will be done. Ah, I like that. It's not a dream if it's real, Moises. It's not a dream if it's real. And her first time on the mothership, but she's everybody's favorite mom in the incomparable membership Slack. Aww. And one of the regulars on the Good Place Team Cockroach TV podcast. It's Sarah Gartner. Hello. Hi. This is a nice island. Definitely not dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are going to be talking about, for those who are wondering, I introduced the panel before I explain what we're talking about. A little different, a little curveball, a little post-episode 500 curveball for you there. <laughs> we're going to be talking about Marvel Comics miniseries, uh, f- two miniseries, intertwined miniseries from last fall called Powers of Ten and House of X. These are X-Men comics. Okay. They're available in a collection so you can go buy it. One of the things that I've always liked about us doing comic book club episodes is we don't want you to have to buy like a run of comics or go to your comic store and buy one issue of a comic. We want you to be able to go to a bookstore or go on Amazon or go on Comixology or whatever and kind of buy a collection like you'd buy a novel and then read it. And uh, so you can do that with Powers of 10, hmm, 10 mm-hmm. House of X, if you, uh, if you want to. Um, I read these issues as they came out last year and enjoyed them. And then I read them back today in a binge. And you know what? I enjoyed them more. (laughs) I enjoyed them even more a second time through. Uh, These are by Jonathan Hickman, who is Marvel's go-to writer for wild sci-fi, high concept, world-breaking things. I guess, because you may remember him from the uh, Avengers and New Avengers and Secret Wars, where he told a kind of universe, multiverse spanning story. And uh, in this, he's trying to redefine uh, the the uh, the X-Men and what the X-Men stand for. Um, so I guess to get started, before we kind of dive into the material, might be worth going around and saying, what's your um, what's your history with uh with the x-men and uh how did you read house of x powers of 10 lisa i think i've told this story before but my history with the x-men started when i was a bored fifth grader and i picked up the uncanny x-men annual number five um titled ooh la la badoon oh yes i bought that (laughs) issue totally it is difficult to frame it now because we live in just an amazing period in comics where there are all different types of creators and all different types of stories and all different types of ways to get comics and all different mediums. But to pick up that book in 1983 and see not one token lady character, not even two token lady characters who fight over a boy, but 
a team led by Aurora Monroe with Kitty Pride on it, and they've got Sue Storm working backup, and they're dealing with an alien empress. It was amazing, and I it triggered an obsession with the X-Men that has waxed and waned and never really gone away. And in high school, I fell headfirst into the new, the new Mutants. And just, oh, oh my gosh, I sort of think of that as my period of the X-Men and, and sort of my, my OG team. And a little excited about the movie coming up. And subsequently, like I said, it waxed and waned. Uh, I liked the Grant Morrison reboot for the audacity of it. And when I picked this up to read this, we had had some chatter uh, on the incomparable when the issues first started coming out. I'm no longer a single issue comic book reader. I tend to wait for the trades. And so a few days before Christmas, I got this beautiful hardbound hardcover with House of X powers of 10. And the issues are interleaved to tell the story I think is Hickman intended for it to be read and absorbed. And I, I just kind of gulped it down in one go and like went and took a walk to clear my head and then read it again. <laughs> and then I revisited the book again today to mark off pages and panels that I like the best. Um, I kind of regret not going to a single issue format with this book, only because each issue feels so dense. Mm. It would have been nice to have yeah. people to chew over and say, hey, is this an homage to this storyline? And is this like a thing that the writer was trying to do to make fun of this other character arc and, and things like that? Um, that said, it is particularly gratifying to be able to flip back and forward, um, especially as we get to discussing Mario later. It's fun to flip back and forward and see how a lot of the art thematically repeats itself again and again to right. under to, to underline and reinforce the recursive nature of the plot <laughs> and the horrible, sickening sense of familiarity familiarity you get or that <laughs> sense of vertigo when you see the same panel in a second or third context and you're like, oh, no, oh, oh. Oh boy. <laughs> so it's, this is such a trippy read. I, I keep thinking that if Christopher Nolan, um, like ever got off the Batman horse, uh, this is, this is kind of like the inception of X-Men stories. I'm here for it. I'm super excited about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I do agree with you. This is my ongoing crusade about why I prefer weekly TV release to binge drops is it is super dense. And we like in incomparable slack, we were <laughs> picking apart issue by issue as this was released because it was released weekly, weekly, right? Moises weekly. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a 12 week thing yeah. that started and there was something new every single week. Yeah. And this actually, there, there's something interesting that came from that interleaving, which drove people kind of crazy before uh, everything was collected because it doesn't just strictly go issue one, issue one, issue right. two, issue two, issue mm -hmm. three, issue three. I actually remember uh, I, I was trying to talk Merlin through how the reading <laughs> order worked for it. And he was like, this just, this feels like a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't disagree with him yeah. at all. Yeah. There's something to yeah. be said for the collection for that, but I did enjoy having those. I mean, there's some great cliffhangers in these issues. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Um, Moises, tell me about uh, your, you know, brief history of X-Men in your life. And, um, and we've already established you, you were in there for the ride weekly. It's difficult for me to narrow down the exact origin story because there were two, uh, there are two things that are conflated in my memory, the nineties X-Men animated TV series and <laughs> a crossover event called executioner song that was on the spinner racks. And I don't remember if I was reading the, uh, the mutant Genesis run, uh, st started by, uh, you know, the, the iconic art by Jim Lee. I, I knew that I had been reading comics off of the spinner rack around this time. 
So I don't remember if I was reading the comics and Wizard Magazine or saw the cartoon or I saw the cartoon after I had been reading the comics for a little while. It's it's way too fuzzy at this point. Um, I actually now that I'm talking through it, Jason, I've had a breakthrough. I've discovered a new part of the Weapon X program that I was in. Um, hmm. And and it was it was the Sears Wish Book program of, uh, uh, of yeah. the Weapon X program uh, where. Uh, they had this like grab backs, uh, grab, grab box of comics that had just a bunch of different Marvel stuff in it. And so my mom got this for me because I wanted comic books and she was like, well, this is actually a pretty good deal. And you get like 50 comic books. And so I got issue one, three and six of infinity gauntlet and crossover issues for infinity war and, uh, assorted reprints, some Marvel UK stuff like death's head Two that didn't make any sense to me at all. Um, so I, I had been reading the comics, but I don't know how, uh, how diehard I was before the animated series. And then when I got into high school, I was reading all kinds of stuff and the, the big iconic shifts in X-Men mythology, the Grant Morrison run, uh, Brian Bendis's all new X-Men run, which is a lot more recent. Um, Joss Whedon's astonishing X-Men. Uh, I have a history with all of those different runs, some of which I read as they were coming out. Some of them I caught up to during dark times when I wasn't reading any comics. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, I have followed a lot of different versions of X-Men, um, and this particular evolution of things, uh, has been fascinating to me from the first issue through various of the cliffhangers. And, uh, there are people who hate, they will just plain say, I hate Jonathan Hickman. I hate everything he writes. I hate the way that he writes. I hate that there's all this, like, there are these walls of text in the middle of pages of comics. Uh, and I kind of like a bunch of it. It's not, it's not wrong. There are, but uh, it's not wrong. Yeah, these things all it. exist. I kinda, I, I'm with you. It kind of works it. for me. It kind of works for me. And they were selling this as, um, we are not, we are not going to, say that something suddenly doesn't count. Uh, this counts. It isn't going to just be undoable. This is, this is one of the big fundamental foundational shifts in the stories that the X-Men tell, uh, and, and just buckle up. And I did indeed buckle up and it did indeed fundamentally change a lot of things. And, uh, one of the yeah. one of the most specific things that uh, that I know that we will dig into is uh, is I want to dig into the word retcon and how it applies uh, to this series and and how it drives me bonkers uh, how how often I feel like it is it is lazily thrown around as an insult um, to series that are somehow supposed to sustain decades and decades of continuity. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there, Sarah. Um, what was your what's your history with the X Men and what was your experience reading these comics? So. I initially discovered the X-Men through the animated special Pride of the X-Men, which is lousy, but it's on YouTube <laughs> it's, and it's really it's, fun to watch. It's so <laughs> awful, but it's so good. It really Wolverine's is. Wolverine's Australian. It just... What? I've, I've, what? I, yeah, I've made my daughter watch it. That's what she thinks X-Men is. I think that's... She thinks I just keep reading that over and over. But. Lisa, do you not know what this is? No. Oh, so it's the, really bad. <laughs> when 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 they were just trying to make everything a thing, they made a pilot for an animated series that nev never ended up happening that that effectively starts with Kitty Pride arriving at the Xavier School and the X-Men already exist and are a thing. Uh -huh. And if you've played or seen the X-Men arcade game, the side scroll and beat em up thing that was in every arcade in the 90s, the character designs 
of that game were the exact same character designs from the series, which included Dazzler wearing a bomber jacket ah! and Colossus and oh. Nightcrawler. Literally just the pilot exists, but it is delightful and uh, it is very easy to find on the internet. I was basically the only girl I knew who read any comics from that point on. I would just go to the grocery store and pick up anything with anyone from the cartoon on it. So a lot of Kitty and Nightcrawler, um, Dazzler, Storm, just people I recognized basically. So a lot of X-Men classics. Um, and then I went into buying just a ton of Excalibur because they were both in it. Um, and then from there, uh, my comic buying waned around college time because I had no money. So, uh, Basically, I read everything from, let's say, 1991 to 1998, and then things just happened without me. Um, I read Age of Apocalypse and House of M and some of the bigger stuff, but I would say in the last five, ten years, I really haven't read a lot of X-Men. So there's pieces of this that I'm sure are references that I'm not getting, but... Um, then I let smart people like you guys tell me what I'm missing. So that's good. <laughs> so that's what uh, Wikipedia is for too. Yeah. And as far, well, yeah, it's very helpful. There's a lot out there if you don't get everything in this, which right. I don't. Um, I don't either. But <laughs> as far as how I read it, I, I, um, I bought them digitally because I didn't want to get my fingers all over them. And then I bought them hard copy because I wanted a copy. And then I bought the hardcover. So I've got three different things floating around. Wow. It's a sickness. Yeah, yeah. So I, I also read them. Uh, I read them weekly, Comixology, and uh, my history with the X Men. Again, like Lisa, probably detailed before, but uh, it was what nineteen eighty two, eighty three. Paul Smith was drawing the X Men. Those are my X Men. It was after John Byrne, before John Romita Jr. The core X Men. It was right as the New Mutants happened, um, and so it was the beginning of that moment where Marvel realized the X Men, which had been a flop in their first iteration were actually the biggest selling comic in the country and decided that they needed to um, merchandise them. So I kind of, it was kind of a special moment because like they were huge, but nobody knew they were huge yet. They were only realizing it and it was a great moment. And I really, um, I, I really loved that era. They didn't make an impression on me in the same way that, you know, Spider-Man or something like that did that I discovered when I was a little bit younger. But I I always loved those archetypal characters and, you know, loved Kitty Pride and, uh, you know, tolerated Cyclops because everybody tolerates Cyclops. <laughs> and um, Dan Morton loves Dan Cyclops. Dan Morton likes Cyclops, sure. So, uh, you know, that, that was my history. And then I stopped reading comics for a very long time. And actually, I find modern X-Men comics complicated to the point where I can't even I, they feel yeah. inaccessible to me um, which is one of the things I really love about this and I will say as somebody who if you're if you're curious and we haven't gotten into the plot yet if you're curious about this I really do recommend the this comic the this combination of 12 issues of two six issue miniseries because I don't think you need to know who that guy is like I don't even know really what the deal is with apocalypse but I like I know enough to fake it 
And it doesn't really matter because the the characters at the core of this are the most core of X-Men characters. And it's such it's telling such a big story and an important story and kind of a fundamental like X-Men story. Whether it's in continuity or not, it is, but like it doesn't really matter. It's just a very clever story that lets mm-hmm. me, you know, not all of my favorites are present. Kitty really isn't in this, but like enough of them are present for me to think that I watched a really great, like x-men story unfold before me over 12 weeks and 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 to a point that moises made early on um part of me does wonder if part of jonathan hickman's charter here was to find a new take on the x-men because disney's gonna have to make x-men movies now and uh we've already seen those old x-men stories told twice sort of like spider-man and they're probably looking for a new spin and I, I, as I read these, I was like, I wonder if this is the new spin or at least fodder for that, because I it's a ideas. different kind I of X-Men, yeah. mm-hmm. but yeah, it, have... it like, but it's simple enough that I think you can read it without really knowing all the history of it. And I, I think that's one of the things that I liked a lot about it. Cause I don't have, again, I kind of disconnected cause there's too much. There's X, the X-Men are great, but there's so many teams and there's so many X-Men now that it's just like, you know, I, I, I can't, I, I do know who gold balls is. I will admit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's important because finally he has a purpose mm-hmm. in, yeah. in these in these comics. But, uh, you know, it it, it, uh, did, it didn't matter. It felt like a, as much continuity was, was, was in here, it felt standalone enough for me to dive in without fear and feel rewarded by the experience. Mm-hmm. And without spoiling anything, one of the big negatives often thrown at the X-Men is exactly what the thing what you mentioned is the thing that drove you away from it, where it it is just so burdened by so much intricate intricate cross uh connected continuity. There's just so much stuff that you can have missed that will make you feel completely lost. And what this thing does is it play it plays directly with some of the most commonly leveled uh, complaints or criticisms of the X-Men. Um, they never age and they never die uh, or they never stay dead or they never stay aged. Um, you know, what? How, how, how does this thing work sustainably that way? And you have all of these characters and how do you play with this particular set of pieces that are currently on the board that maybe somebody who dropped out of reading X-Men 10 years ago has no idea who any of these weird characters like Glob are. How do you use these characters in a way that is new or lapsed reader friendly that plays fair with everybody and is geared toward no matter what we do going forward, this this is built to give you an on ramp to all of the all of the the cross connected continuity, all of that stuff. All of it counts. It's not going, you know what, we're basically going to remake this one crossover that was really popular 30 years ago. It's not, we're going to effectively do the sequel to this crossover from 20 years ago. It's going, all of it counts. What would be the reason to go forward? And the the one other thing I was going to mention is directly to the point of what inspired this. It wasn't so much Marvel coming to Jonathan Hickman. And he, he said this in interviews. It wasn't them coming to him and going, we need you, you know, grand architect. Oh, you know, God of the cosmos who created the black order and, you know, did all this other stuff. Please save us. This was apparently the germ of this was something that was one of those ideas that terrify me when I see comics writers talking about this kind of idea um, in interviews, which is it was an idea that he had when he was a teenager, which was, why haven't they ever done this? This is what I would love to do. 
and everything, all the stars aligned and everything such that now was the perfect time for this completely upending series of concatenated events, uh, for, for, for it to work. And, uh, and that, that's one of the things that I appreciate about Hickman and the reason I didn't run screaming and and wasn't terrified, uh, when he, he made it it known that this was one of his teenage ideas, because boy, that can work out really badly with some comics writers, um, is that he has always played fair, his fantastic four run, his Avengers run. He is very big on everything being additive and everything counting and not trying to make you feel bad for liking a version of one of these mega franchises that you liked 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever. If I can make a quick mention, I just saw that the uh, very first issue of this trade of what we've been talking about here, it's the first House of X, is on Marvel Unlimited. So if you have that, you can read it now. Presumably those will be rolling out weekly on Marvel Unlimited. So if you're... I hope. You, you, this is perfectly timed, this episode then, for those who are mm-hmm. uh, on 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 the time delay of Marvel Unlimited. Go check it out there. And you can enjoy... You can ruminate every week about what the heck just happened <laughs> in House of X, Powers of Ten. Then your brain can hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Just make sure that if it's the individual issues that you look at the reading order because there are reveals from bouncing back and forth the way that they're meant to be read. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. You know, today's internet users expect a fast web experience. No matter how good your content is, no matter how effective your marketing is, they will bounce. They're out of there if your website loads too slowly or has technical problems. With real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance issues affect your visitors' experience so you can take action before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience your website will differ based on the browser, the device, and the platform they use. You can identify how visitors are experiencing your website so you can make informed optimizations and deliver great performance to the people who matter most. That's the people on your website. Oh, and it's built for scalability. Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, meaning you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank. Get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash Snell, my last name, right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code Snell at checkout to get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom from SolarWinds for supporting The Incomparable. So to talk, to get back to one of Jason's points, what this book reminds me a whole lot of is Kingdom Come. Huh. Yeah. Where if you really, really love comic book history and you really love analyzing every panel and you can recite all sorts of continuity, there's a lot of stuff in all these different panels of Kingdom Come for you. Like the fact that Zan and Jaina um, are now a waiter and waitress at a bar using their wonder twin powers to fill water glasses. <laughs> like that's just the throw a gag line in the back. And you don't need to know a whole lot about all of the back continuity to be able to understand the story and the big ideas and the fact that Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman have to work out some ideological differences in a hurry and fix a culture that they helped break. Like that is the whole story of Kingdom Come. The rest of it on top of that is just a lot of nice nods and rewards for people who have invested a lot of time and energy into this. And when I was reading this, I felt the same way where I'm going to go back, I'm going to read it again. I'm probably going to hit some sites on the internet to see what what blind items in Mr. Sinister's gossip column I didn't get. (laughs) 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 And um, I'm going to see if some of those panels um, 
especially around some characters. I want to see if some of those panels are actually meant to be echoes of iconic panels in um, like Days of Future Past or other signature everybody hates the X-Men and has sent robots to kill them type stories because it feels too intentional. And Hickman is such a careful writer and there's nothing ever left a chance in his books. So I feel like this is the type of book where like Kingdom Come, it rewards rereading and it rewards reading broadly um, outside of the book and then coming back going, oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's why it does that. Uh, and But at the same time, I also like how he makes a lot of the characters really fresh. Um, to give this a shout out to Dan Morin's favorite character, I love Cyclops in this book. Yeah, this is the version of Cyclops I like. Yeah, this yeah. might be the only time I've liked Cyclops. Oh, so he dies, which is, oh, spoilers, he dies, which is great, but he also comes back, so not really a spoiler. Jason, well, stop it, stop it. You're, you're, you're giving getting everything away. Issue, well, like, what, issue a, there, four or something? I was going to say, there's, there's Cyclops, there's the Cyclops thing, but then um, towards the end of the book, when there's like a big party, you see that there's like a couple of panels where there's Cyclops and Wolverine and Jean together, which is clearly meant as a nod or a call out to like the love triangles that they've had in, in previous, um, you know, story iterations like grant morrison trod this and then you see that gene and emma frost and scott are all giving each other eyes which again is something that's happened in other books too sure and like they he doesn't go anywhere with that but they're just the sharing beer there. The, they're just passing around know, the six pack of beer the composition is so deliberate you're like <laughs> oh this can be read any way you want it to and for people who have been reading the books Ooh. a certain way they're gonna be like yes here we go at last it's the <laughs> it's the four-way group marriage where everybody's worked things out and other people are like oh i see trouble on the horizon it just depends on where you are on that exact subject, uh, one of Jonathan Hickman's infographic pages that people like to decry, uh, very notably, like it was news in the comic book blog world um, that the diagram showed that uh, Psycho- Cyclops and Wolverine, um, well, their rooms were on either side of Jean Grey's. And for some reason, there was a door into Jean's room from both of their rooms which is not something that you see on any of the other room layouts. Oh God, that which, poor woman gets no privacy. I, well, maybe, maybe look, Jean knows a little bit of everything. Maybe she doesn't want privacy. Maybe that's the opposite of what she so wants. So we should talk about what the, what the story is actually <laughs> about. It, it is, I like, I like Lisa's like likening it to kingdom come in that it has layers and it can be enjoyed. Um, in reading it in one sitting, as I did today, what I realized is uh, House of X can really be enjoyed as a relatively short, good, interesting, you know, take on what the X-Men could be that um, is and, you know, Powers of Ten can be read as a very weird um, surrealistic you know, uh, lots of, it's kind of a montage almost about like the grand sweep of human and mutant history. Um, and that I appreciated them in those, in those ways, as well as, uh, you know, appreciating them when it rolled out over 12 weeks. Um, so, you know, it, it works in lots of different ways and yes, Mm -hmm. you can Hickman, especially like, cause one of Hickman's styles and, and, and we've referred to it here. One of the fascinating things he does is, it is it is a postmodern comic book thing where there are drawn pages and there are also like page layout to the part where they've got like register marks on the edges of documents that are from the story. And I know that like this dates back forever. Watchmen did it a lot, but mm-hmm. um, he is he is aggressively kind of inflicting 
um, twists on the story and teasers and red herrings by you read five panel or five pages and you're like, what's happening? You turn the page and suddenly there's a data page and you're like, what is going on? The the infographic goes, this is who this person is. And this it, it draws the infographics that I would scrawl in the margins of notebooks when I was younger. It, it does that for you with omissions to make you go like, oh, I didn't even notice that there was a third yeah. person who wasn't there. Yeah. Who is that person? <laughs> so there's that really Edward Tufty looking infographic that maps out. You know what? Let's just can we blow the spoiler horn at this point? Yeah, I, I, let's let's do that. We're going to talk about what's in this. You should go read it. I think it would be fun if you ever have read the X-Men in the past mm-hmm. and have a like for them. This might be a fun mm-hmm. way to uh, read Get an interesting story it. and if you don't want to see what happens afterward that's that's fine I think it's kind of fun on its own I think it's maybe worth the investment buying the uh, buying the collection giving it a shot now we're going to talk about the details here's the spoiler horn <laughs> Jason, how many hours did you and I spend, just the two of us in Slack, arguing about which timeline was which and and what missing information was going to line up to which life and all that kind of stuff, just based on all of those infographics? Oh, yeah. To get back to Jason's point about, oh, there's there's stuff that breaks out. It's a very postmodern narrative. I think, like, the genius of that is to um, it's – it's, it's on two layers because, one – it really plays with the expectation that the story is going to unfold in a linear fashion and explain how you get from Moira meeting Charles over to um, the technorganic beings ascending into the great black hole thing. Like you're like, oh, it's going to be a straight. It's not a straight line. It's nowhere near a straight line. And I love how the way he plays with narrative conventions is like basically telegraphing to you all along. Don't expect this to make sense. Don't expect this is not a to B like I'm, I'm effectively telling you stories in four different timelines at the same time. Um, and the other way it works is because I think that must be what it's like to be inside Moira's head. Right. And to have all of these memories of all of these past lives. And when I saw that Edward Tufty looking graphic that like maps out all of the milestones in her life, yeah. like life number one is more. All, all but one timeline, which is withheld until later on. The first time I got to that one, I was like, wait, I don't remember six. And I like flipped back and started rereading the book yeah. and was, you know, like skimming through. And what did I miss? And because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a speed reader. And I was like, OK. Did I miss this? And I went back. I'm like, no, no. Okay. <laughs> no, he was we're held missing- it. You <laughs> missed it because it wasn't there. I'm like, okay, we're She's missing life number six. Guy. Why are we missing life number six? So what is, how does that shape everything else? What's going on? And does this have anything to do with the precogs? And, and it was wild. And, um, oh. So comics, like one of the things the comic fans have is this whole like continuity thing and like oh what does this mean and how does the timeline work and it's like it doesn't really make sense for anybody because they they want these characters from the 60s to be modern which means that they need to be you know young they're not like retiring now they don't they're not like joining the AARP so it doesn't really make sense and so you kind of have to you just dismiss it away and so you introduce Moira McTaggart as a uh a mutant who has is on her ninth or 10th life and has tried a bunch of different variations on mutant storylines. And I think it drove everybody a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit nuts actually, because they're like, Oh, what does it mean? Are you saying that other X-Men stories are in other timelines and stuff? And it's like, it's not. Um, And, and I, and, and yet maybe, but what I like about it is, 
it provides so much it's all continuity at this point right it's like the past is the past her point ultimately in this story is everything that we've done before hasn't worked so we're going to try it differently now and i know that technically this is all in marvel mainstream continuity and people can talk about that i i don't care i literally don't care (laughs) but what you the way you can read it is all those x-men stories you read over your life were stories of them trying these things that were doomed to fail and this story is about them trying something new and even if that's technically not true you can read the story as if it is and i think that's i think that's one of the brilliant things about moira's repeating timelines plus it adds that extra layer to powers of 10 where it turns out that a lot of the things that are happening in powers of 10 are literally happening in order to reconnoiter where moira is gathering information to be used by everybody going on in house of x even though if you didn't i i really believe if you didn't read powers of 10 house of x still works it totally makes sense and touching on something lisa was saying about the multiple timelines you have four different timelines presented in powers of 10 you have year one year 10 year 100 year 1000 and the conspiracy theorizing that was going on as the series was running about how no all four of them must not really count and this is how he's going to undo it and this is how he's not playing fair from the very beginning he said oh i'm playing fair trust me i promise i'm playing fair I, I'll bet you right now I am playing fair. And uh, and the fact that the first two timelines are our current timeline and then the other two are the the other timelines, I I was expecting it to to pl- not play that fair the whole way through. And, and I was amazed that he landed it the way that he did. Yeah, I would say like I really appreciate the fact that they're leaning into nostalgia without making me have to read all the little bubbles with asterisks that say go back to this issue like i used to have to do um you know revisit xyz um they know you know it or they know that you don't know it and it doesn't matter and uh really from here on out i could continue to read x-men which is something i couldn't have said before this came out i feel like i could go forward and still be fine it actually feel feels to me in a very clever way that they're giving us permission to not know other things, right? Like, which I think is the most welcoming thing you could do in something as twisty and turny as comic book continuity is to say, you know, yeah, we're going to make sure we check all the boxes for the people who care about continuity, but really just dive in here and it'll be fine. You'll figure it out and you don't need to know. Like, like I know there's like, hey, didn't they kill Wolverine? Oh yeah, but I guess they brought him back. It's like, whatever. I don't care. Wolverine's there. I, I, I literally don't care. So if anything, the most important thing to know is the general personality alignment of characters within the X universe Mm -hmm. that you're familiar with. You know that this person has been a bad guy and they still seem like a bad guy. But even then, I love when they finally come up with the governing council and you just see everybody kind of grouping up into their factions at the same time. We've all been opposed, but we're all mutants. Like, right. Like, yeah. so it's Apocalypse and the White yeah. Queen and Magneto. And Sebastian and, Shaw. Yeah, they're and all there. Paris and, yeah, and, they're, and they all, there's this really great, um, I'm going to flip through like the 80 cards I put in my books to <laughs> find it. But when they're debating the three fundamental laws that will govern um, mutanity, on, <laughs> right um, after they've thrown saber tooth in a pit. Yep. No, like <laughs> no, like immediately before because you don't take lives. Oh right, um, that's right. But oh, like it's yeah, basically yeah. respect our land, be fruitful and multiply, 
and uh, don't, don't take kill any human life. <laughs> but there's this great panel where you it's it's basically you know nine sequential um, vertical panels, and it's each one of the the council members who are not named Eric or um, <laughs> Eric or uh, Charles, and they're all talking, and they're like the thing that's important to note is none of them are angry, none of them are hostile. They're like just engaged in discussion as peers, and I thought it was really great to just have that beat in the story where you see that despite the fact that Sebastian Shaw would cheerfully sell everybody the highest bidder if he if if he could get away with it, like for the moment he's deadly earnest about being like okay this is my best bet so i'm gonna make it work and everybody else there is is going in with the same with the same uh it's a level playing field and and they choose to treat it like a level playing field which i think is is showing the transformative power of this of this separatist nation that they're putting together the feel of it was almost like model UN or boy state, girl state. Oh, yes. it, it was like mutant UN or mm-hmm. mutant state. As a veteran of model UN, <laughs> yes. <laughs> let's let's do some yes. laws. I, I, I want to talk about the politics of mutant separatism because I think it's an interesting idea. Um, before we do that, though, I want to mention the core of uh, House of X, especially, which is... It is a lot of things, but it is at its core kind of an action adventure story with a mystery attached. And I, I like in, in rereading it, I really got this. Uh, I really appreciated the structure because it is kind of a ticking clock story. There, there's a lot. I was trying at dinner tonight trying to explain to my family what is in these books. And it's like, oh, there is too much. Let me sum up. <laughs> um, but it really is. There's a space station that is going to put this thing online that's going to kill all the mutants eventually. It's an AI that's going to turn into a, you know, a, a runaway uh, that is going to become uh, this unstoppable mutant killing force. So they, the X-Men have to be sent there, this core group of X-Men on a spaceship to stop it. And, you know, the bracketing, like there's Moira McTaggart and what is she going on about? And there's this there's super creepy opening scene where there's like pods and Professor X is wearing his weird helmet and he's and 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 people come out of the pods and he says, to me, my X-Men. And we cut away from it and we're like, what is that all about? And it's revealed that what, what it is, is there is this assault on this space station that is being run by humans, basically, who are trying to create the ultimate sentinel to stop the mutants from taking over the Earth. And uh, it doesn't go like you expect it to go in that all the X-Men die. And that's a great cliffhanger, right? All the X-Men die. Wolverine is dead. Nightcrawler is dead. They're all dead. Jean Grey is dead. They're all, again, they're all dead. And then we get that reveal, which is, but they're not. (laughs) Because mostly dead is partially alive. I'm all about the Princess Bride references right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And... and, (laughs) A union of like a, a bunch of mutants who turn gold balls as balls into eggs and put DNA in them and then time advance them. And then Cerebro, it turns out, has been store is a library of all mutant brains. Jason, let me let me let me let me simplify the beginning of this. A while in the past, Professor X went to Forge and went, can you iCloud back up every mutant every on the mutant's planet? soul? And, and I would Forge, like five backups. Please. And, and Forge and- is like. You got it, dude. Well, we got to talk. <laughs> Tell you what, buddy, we got to talk about redundancy. Human technology the- is not capable. He's like, I've got a Shire uh, cruiser in orbit with these data crystals. And he's like, all right, okay, I can do it then. So um, mm-hmm. it's a great reveal because first off, gold balls is worth something. What? Um, 
but it also explains that creepy original panel, which is creepy, which I love because it's like, hey, Professor X, he's your hero. No, he's really creepy. But he's a cult leader. He, but like, <laughs> or is he? And and that that's a real question throughout. So anyway, my point here is that while there are a lot of things about continuity and about X-Men history here, and while there is this, there are a bunch of interesting political questions that I do want to talk about. One of the things I appreciate about House of X is it is also an action adventure set piece, an X-Men story with a twist, which is how can you send the X-Men on a mission that they're guaranteed not to come back from and still have X-Men? And the answer is uh, complicated, but there it is. And I love, I love that reveal where it's like, Oh, they're all going to die. Oh, they did die. Oh, but they didn't die. Oh, yeah, we got encrypted end to end backups. We're fine. We're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's cause it's a cool action thing. And then it has added, uh, spinoff for the plot because it turns out that their deaths are important in explaining what exactly is going on here. A quick thing about the, the weekly release. One of the things I liked so much is that they spread that mission out over two issues where we thought we knew what we were backing into. And this, this is the repeated theme for this miniseries is that you think you know where you're going and then it goes, mm. oh, no, no, no. Uh, the, he just uh, cloud back up uh, every person with an X gene soul. Uh, so I don't worry about it. It's fine. They found a use for four gems where he's not like making a weapon for a change too. That's very exciting. Hey, Doug, Doug Ramsey has something to do. Yeah. Forge has yeah. something to do. Every Doug Ramsey, who's one of those characters that I've always liked, uh, ends up being Doug. the fusing with Krakoa, the living island, and they create a language and he learns how to speak to him. And there's a hilarious, by the way, hilarious scene where Charles Xavier is like, I can talk to Krakoa. And he's like, he's very sad. And Doug Ramsey's like, are you just getting that from the emotions he's projecting? Because actually he just said a detailed history of all of the mm -hmm. crimes committed against him. And, and, and Charles <laughs> is like, I'm going to leave you here for a year. Okay. I'll, I'll check back. You know back what, Doug? <laughs> Doug, I've got okay, a job for you. And... Too. It's such a great, like, <laughs> such a great 20, 2010s reference where you're like, oh, Sage, I remember Sage. Mm -hmm. It was great. Mm -hmm. Very exciting. The five, the five, including gold balls who are responsible for reviving people. <laughs> I think we should just say gold balls because it's now. fun five, to the five say. Including gold balls. Gold balls. Well, his name is gold Egg balls. now. He goes uh -huh. by Egg. Okay. And I, res I respect course. the artist formerly known as Gold Balls. He'll always be Gold Balls to me. <laughs> <laughs> He'll always be Gold Balls in my heart. Yep. Um, yes, he raises the, the dead, but he's always a Gold Balls to me. The, <laughs> the, the thing I find so cool about this is that. The, thinking where he had to go in his writer's brain, knowing he had literally all of the pieces on the table was okay. What five am I going to put together? And he used hope summers who is a love hate character for some people. People think that she's irrelevant, you know, whatever she's filler. I think she's great. Always thought that she was great. Tempest who comes from that Brian Bendis, all new X-Men run where she was a new emerging mutant who can control the passage of time. Proteus, Proteus yeah. is doing something useful. Proteus, who mm -hmm. I've been trained to be terrified of, and uh, and Elixir, who effectively was just like it was uh, was was like a, a you know a healer in the D and D party. Yeah, okay, we got six of you. Fine, whatever. I I, I always liked that little class because it was him, and there's Mercury and. Yeah. Uh, and well, Quentin Choir and the Stepford Cuckoo. I don't know like, any they, of those they, people, but it's fine. <laughs> 
Jason graduated 20 years before them. Yeah. Once every 15 to 20 years, you get a writer who just throws a whole bunch of new mutants in the mix, and some of them stick to the wall and come back, and some of them you never see again. Like, there's not a single panel where you see Rain Sinclair in any of these in any of these stories. They didn't need any wolves, I guess. It, 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 like, Warren McTaggart, I guess, like, elected in no lives to, you know, kick her Charles, Charles's way. Um, the but, good news is she's in the New Mutants book. So let me let me bring up the the politics of the choice that's going on here because one of the things that happens is they're going to create this this uh sovereign state in krakoa and they're going to give humanity like a bunch of drugs that extend life and cure disease in exchange for the giving you know all mutants basically krakoan citizenship and immunity um they'll be faced they'll face a uh, mutant law if they break laws but not human laws and um and I think it's interesting because it goes it, it's a it's a different kind of take on X-Men. X-Men has always been about like, I'm different and how do I fit into the world? And this take is is more like we I'm so different that the world will never accept me. I must have my own homeland in order to survive. Um and I you know, I, I'm I'm torn on it because I really like X-Men as as metaphor for puberty and being, you know, being different from the people around you. And this story is taking a really different tack, which is this is about a people who don't have a home. It's a it's a people without a homeland, displaced, dispossessed people trying to create a culture and also motivated by survival that we can't survive unless we have a homeland and that's you know i don't know i don't, I don't know if i i prefer this take to the other take but it's really interesting to walk through the ramifications of of charles and magneto and emma frost and the rest saying you know what people <laughs> we're done trying to assimilate way back when they did the ultimates lines of books like we've talked about how great ultimate spider-man is right um ultimate x-men kind of got a really raw deal because they just kept swapping writers in and out and in and out and as a result like it's an entertaining run but it's kind of all over the place there was a plot line where magneto sets up his separatist nation in genosha and they actually come up with a mutant language and one of the arguments is language is foundational to culture culture is foundational to a sense of identity um and then there, there's a tossed off quip about how tiresome wanda's poetry is in the new mutant language uh, <laughs> but i i thought it was really interesting that they came back to that idea and one of the things that stood out for me in this book is um and again, this is what I get for marking entirely too many pages in my copy, is they do have the mutant massacre where um, there are pages devoted to like the, the news coverage of it. And um, at one point, Charles Xavier is like, no more. They just keep killing us no matter what. No more. Oh, yeah. Look what they've done. Genocean genocide. And the quote is, they've murdered so many of us. The world has grown used to it. This is just how things are for those people, for mutants no more and i thought to myself did he have on like footage of ferguson in the background when he was writing this because you can also see this almost as a metaphor for um colonialism or attempting to wipe out a people when they insist mm, on their own humanity totally. and i thought this is a really interesting evolution 
of the X-Men because like you said, it can be read as a real metaphor for puberty. Um, it can also be read as a real metaphor for um, different models of agitating for social change for populations that are not being served by the status quo and who are rejected and treated with fear and discrimination. And what Hickman seems to be arguing through this book is that um, if a species doesn't try, if, if a culture doesn't try to figure out how to accommodate diversity, you are going to get the kind of separatism, separatism. Yeah. <laughs> that ultimately ruins everybody. Because one of the messages that comes through loud and clear in this, in this book is humanity is doomed. Humanity is doomed thanks to its own choices. It's just a question of who comes next and how long the extinction runs on. And um, it all, and I, I think it's a really interesting reframing of the X-Men. I'm not sure it's one that makes it to film, to call back to what we were saying earlier about the need to reboot this for the Disney audience. But I think it's kind of an exciting 21st century reframing of the X-Men at this particular point in um, world history. I, I have a chunk of uh, like ethnographic anthropological stuff I wanted to get into, but before my hummingbird brain forgets uh, to ask Sarah about something that came to mind while Jason was talking about the puberty metaphor stuff, Sarah, you like me are a big fan of the Legion of superheroes. Yeah. And I, I, I the Legion of superheroes, not as not remotely as well known uh, in the mainstream as the X-Men. I, I feel like you know them better than I do, honestly. Um, how do you feel this plays with some of the stuff that that you and I have talked about that we like about the Legion? Um, because it it feels like I, I think some of this stuff that that feels to some people ill fitting or just feels weird or new, a, a lot of it feels familiar from like Paul Levitt's Legion of Superheroes stuff. Yeah, I I mean you know right from the beginning with all the pod stuff, the first thing I thought of was the Keith Giffen run of Legion, <laughs> where you know there's. I mean, I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't read it, but there's pods. And there's pods. <laughs> there's pods. And yeah. there's people. And there's superpowers. Yeah. Yep. Pods and superpowers. But, you know, a lot of Legion stuff is about xenophobia. And, you know, that plays in here, too, like you're saying. Like, it, it's it's all really um, – it's hard to pick a side on any of this. Like, I, I, I tend to think of the X-Men as being, like, the heroes and the good guys, and you really want to root for them. And, of course, you know, I love Nightcrawler. And, and then you think – well, from the human's perspective in any of this, these people must be terrifying, mm -hmm. um, especially yeah. in this run. Well, there's I that mean, moment the where Magneto basically says, we're your gods now. Yeah. You you have new gods, I A think. telepathic mm -hmm. message, you know, going to everyone and these drugs that they're offering that, I mean, it's just, this would be such a nightmare if this were, I mean, I would be afraid of the people I like. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there are a couple of big things that uh, the, you know, the thing I went to school uh, undergrad for was anthropology. Uh, and of course, I started looking at all of my favorite franchises and everything through through the lens of uh, of ethnocentric critique and so on and looking at things as, oh, well, you should assimilate to us because we are the normal and you are the other and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and I, I kept thinking about a specific word reading this miniseries, and that's diaspora, which began specifically mm. with regard to Jews living outside of Israel, but more broadly applies to a dispersion of people outside of their original homeland. And the mutants have yep. never had their own homeland. They've had factional homelands. One of the criticisms that got leveled at this originally was, oh, well, it's been done. What about Asteroid M? What about Genosha? What about this? What about that? Well, what has never been done is 
uniting the entire diaspora of people and something I, there's no way that Hickman meant this, but because I'm Latinx, it, it rang for me was, this isn't a, you know, a political rant, but constantly what you hear is, oh, if the Latin people just get together and vote or whatever, we're not a monolithic group. We are very much a diaspora with a great deal of variance among us, just like the mutant diaspora. Right, you got your Latin apocalypse. Yeah, you got, got your you've got Magneto. cultures within cultures. You got cultures within cultures. Yeah. You've got you get you've your, got you've got your Hellfire uh, Club, whatever. You yeah, know. you've got yeah. yeah the the whole thing, and that's that's how I started looking at this. <laughs> yeah. Where it was, it there, there's there's a layer of the criticism where it's like I don't want my X Men to be bad guys, and I'm like I don't know that they're being bad guys. I feel like they are trying to prevent their genocide for the 10th time running. Like, why are they bad guys for simply asking that they maybe not be killed? But isn't that so? I I think that is still fundamentally provocative in the way that we've always Mm -hmm. been told the X-Men are here for us and they're going to integrate into human society and it's going to be great. And oh, no, bad people want to kill them. And, And to have the comics say, you know what? After somebody tries to kill you a bunch, you're not going to really do that anymore right like you're gonna you're gonna change your tactics because they keep trying to kill you and it's a natural extension of like the plot lines of the x-men over decades is saying we're gonna stop doing this now and it's so i I like i love how provocative it is to to say we're done we're done we're walking away there's this sequence um between the fantastic four and scott summers and this is actually so like the good. sequence where it's i'm so like good. oh scott summers you're bringing it first off he congratulates ben on getting married yeah, and says mazel tov which i tov. love <laughs> yeah and he grins a little bit and you know he has a little talk with reed richards and sue and sue goes um this cyclops this amnesty the other thing xavier is doing what are all of you thinking and what he says is My family has spent our entire lives being hunted and hated. The world has told me that I was less when I knew I was more. Did you honestly think we were going to sit around forever and just take it? And Sue slumps and looks ashamed. And she says, "Uh, of course not. But she has nothing to reply. She has no answer. And knowing she has a mutant son. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And then he's like, "Well, let your son know that his, there's that a family his family waiting is waiting for him in in, in Krakoa, right? Which is like, yeah. Um, yeah but isn't wow. that great? Like, like he confronts I love her, that and, and he doesn't so much. He doesn't take Sabretooth away because that's that's a like we're we're arresting him for the human world, and he's like, I, I want to take him back, and they're like, we're not going to let you, and he's like, all right, well, I'm not going to fight you, but yeah, he's he, they'd have a plan B, but he call <laughs> he finally calls her out on her crap where yeah. he's like. It, it what you know what it reminded me of is um uh Martin Luther King's Jr's letter to white a uh, letter to um the the oh I I want to say it's letter to the letter to the Baptist pastors it's the one where he mm-hmm. actually yes. decries the white moderate and he's like oh you know the white moderate is going to be the death of us because they're just not moved and I was like holy carp yes. that is that is like Ill, like letter you to could the basically invisible woman yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> where he calls her out for being completely unwilling to have any courage behind what should be the conviction that maybe we don't kill mutants. Um, Like, I actually think that Sarah, one thing that we don't see in the book that I wish we did see more of is Sarah correctly points out that, you know, mutants are scary. Like Cyclops can punch people with his eyes. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Go, go back to that frame from Marvel's where the X, you see the X-Men for the first time and they look absolutely terrifying. An alien. One thing that is not in this comic is regular people, right? Like that is the one thing that's missing from this is, is there are governments 
but there are not like right. regular people. They're scientists. You say regular. I say uh, X gene. Uh, well, X gene you know, lacking. Human, yeah, humans like the 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 ground level humans. And and Magneto at one point says, you know, you humans, you're always wolves. And I'm like, yeah, really? Like really? Mm. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I believe that, but I do agree. I think Sarah made a great point, which is they're they're super scary. They 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 are, and they say we're you know we're the gods now. We here we are. We're in Jerusalem to make a point, which is we're your <laughs> gods, and we let you have this. And it's like, dang, like I I get why you're doing what you're doing, but at the same time, I it is it is kind of terrifying because that level of power, um, I, I think implicit in this whole story is okay. All the mutants are going to this island. Are they just going to stay on an island? They're not, right? Like, they're they're not. This is not... The deal is not, we'll give you your island, we get the rest of the world, and we never interact again. That's not going to happen. Yeah, but they're like, we're not really negotiating our right to life anymore. We're not really negotiating our rights to have rights anymore. We are done yeah. trying to reason with you on your terms because you've shown that you'll just keep moving the goalposts and you'll just keep uh, trying to put us off by saying the time's not right yet and that people are slow to change. And you know what? If people are slow to change, oh, they'll respond to our changes like that that is basically you, you just get the sense that everybody who's involved with Krakoa is just fed the heck up you know <laughs> yeah I was trying to explain some of this to my husband before we started talking and he doesn't read any of these so you know of course he has no frame of reference except for the movies and when I told him that you know it opens up with Professor X and he's creepy and he's you know got this new um way of thinking essentially he's just like that's what Professor X thinks. And to have come that far where your most idealistic and pretty naive character is now just all the way to the other end of things. I mean, you know, you're hearing a different story. Yeah. Yeah. It's And, and that's that's what I was saying about Moira's timelines, giving me an excuse to interpret this in a way that is not officially the way that you're supposed to interpret this, but the way I choose to, which is, again, all these other views, all these other takes that we've seen Professor X have over the years, I read that as being, you know, Moira's thing saying, we tried that. Like, we tried that. It didn't work. We all died. So this time around, we're going to try it differently. Because otherwise, it doesn't really follow, I think. that. But, you know, and comics generally don't. You can't draw a straight line from the 60s to now and say, this character experienced all of these things in that order. Because it's not possible so mm -hmm. I, I the fudge of the timelines gives me that um and, and lets me say oh this is an this is a charles xavier who has been changed by seeing all of those failures and all those other timelines and this time he's going to try um something new and different and it's visionary and and trying to it's creepy but it's also trying to solve all the problems that they've 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 had before i don't know it's it's I think it's intriguing. And again, as somebody who doesn't really care about the continuity, I like that it's a different take on it. Like, what if they tried this? And the, and the timeline thing gives me the excuse to just literally say, okay, what if they tried that? Yeah, let's see. Here's the timeline where they try Apocalypse's factional uh, homeland and Magneto's and they and one of them, it's Moira McTaggart assassin and she's killing all the Trasks and, yep. <laughs> you know, and and some something Jason was hitting on that that links back to what Lisa was saying about Dr. King's letter. Um, one of the one of the commonly repeated things that is just taken as given going back to the origins of the X-Men, something that is just 
for years been stated, often by Stanley himself, is, well, Professor X and Magneto, they were the dynamic of Dr. King and Malcolm X. A, the original conception of the X-Men is created by Lee and Kirby. None of that was in there. The, the original failed run of the X-Men before Giant Size X-Men number one, none of that allegory was in those original issues. They were just people with superpowers. Teen superheroes. <laughs> they were teen superheroes. That's that's all they were. Yeah. And the thing that has that that I just took it as given for so many years. And at a certain point, I had my eyes open to the to the fact that comparing Malcolm X to Magneto is effectively just saying that Malcolm X was no worse than a genocidal murderer who was a bad guy. And Magneto hasn't been a, a, a pseudo antihero for, uh, for, for long enough that that kind of, Oh, well, he has a good side to him could apply to it. And there, there, there are ethnocentric ways that people have framed these characters as, Oh, they represent, and it's specific to the, to the Martin and Malcolm comparison that, when you look at it, regardless of how much of the continuity you pay attention to, it's incredibly troubling. Um, and and the the thing that I like so much about the political dynamic of this and the, the sociopolitical dynamic of all this is that it's very much about going, you have looked at us through your lenses, your human homo sapiens lenses in so many ways. And we've had to be defined by you and defined by your stereotypes and your this and your that. We're going to create our own archetypes for civilization. We are going to create the foundations of our own civilization and culture. And we aren't asking, we're telling. I feel like, and it depends on your interpretation, I, I feel like there's an interesting, Magneto has become more complex as a character as time has gone on. Yes. I, I, I And I, I feel like Magneto, depending on what depiction you want to accept, Maybe that Malcolm X parallel is a little bit closer now because through the growth over time, they've, you know, it used to be Magneto was a bad guy, right? But I feel like a lot of works that I've read with Magneto, it's more like he has a different worldview and a different approach mm. than Charles. But it's not, but, but it's not like superhero, supervillain. It's more like colored by their history and disagreeing on tactics. And I, I think... Reformer revolutionary. Yeah, and, and that's why Magneto has kind of been rehabbed, I think. And in this comic is very much rehabbed, right? Which is, he's scary, I get it, but he's also, you know, he he's... I, I also think Ian McKellen kind of rehabbed Magneto a little bit, if I'm honest, true. right? That's true. <laughs> Reformers think things just need a little improvement, but the basic structure is sound, as opposed to revolutionaries who wipe everything out and start over. And I've always thought that you had Xavier as your classic reformer type because he's a rich dude. He's fine. Like aside from, you know, aside from the whole reading minds thing, life is not going to be too hard for him. His mutation doesn't make him look weird. His mutation doesn't cut him off from people. His mutation doesn't even terrify people because it's not visible and he has a lot of discretion over how he uses it. Right. Whereas, um, Eric Lenger, Magneto, has had a completely different upbringing, and he sees what happens when people are targeted for no good reason whatsoever. And so he's more of a revolutionary. 
what I think is really interesting about this series is it makes the argument that it's not an either or proposition. It's a Mm -hmm. both and like the revolutionary also has to reform things. And we see them working towards that when they set up their rules for government Krakoa. And the other arguments are people who are reformers have to sometimes be revolutionaries. And that's what you see happening to Moira over the course of her many lives as she just tries all of the, do you, do I, do I try to push things as a reformer? Do I try to push things as revolutionary? what do I do to to break this cycle of brokenness? And I think that's, again, maybe a really 21st century reading of the X-Men, where it's not an either or, either you're Malcolm X or you're Martin Luther King, either you're the revolutionary or the reformer, but rather you have to know when to be one and or the other, sometimes simultaneously. <laughs> and on that same note, uh, like Jonathan Hickman, there's a twist that you weren't expecting, Jason. And it's specifically regarding comparing Charles Xavier to Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was a strict pacifist. And in comparison, comparing Charles Xavier, who was like, well, we can, we can use force if it's merited. <laughs> that was completely against Martin Luther King's Absolutely. ethos. And, and so it's not just on the Malcolm side that things break down. And, and I, you know, I, I would not presume to, uh, to know your entire life and be able to see through it like, uh, like Jean Grey or something like that. But I would hazard to guess that like many other uh, white men in the United States, your knowledge of Malcolm X himself is mostly limited to uh, societal impressions of him that were forwarded, almost like there was some sinister mutant seeding things into your mind. Ah. Uh, and and I, I feel like I feel like also the Denzel movie, Washington movie. <laughs> well, um, and look, it's a good movie, but it's a movie. You know, JFK, the movie JFK, loads of people think they know so yeah, much about yeah. that whole thing because and, and they and saw a movie about JFK. completely made up. Yeah. Sorry, JFK fans. <laughs> Are we talking about Denzel Washington now? As, as Look, movie? we can talk about Denzel Washington all day. We're going to be here another hour, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> what is his mutant power? <laughs> I, I love I love exactly what, what Lisa's digging into where this this whole thing really upends our perspectives on so many things on, on how much more uh, shades of gray are at play with various things. There, there are people who are going to tend toward bad things. And in the books that have spun out of this, it it has been very interesting seeing how, you know what, we're going to make all this work, how parts of that break down in, in amazing ways. And I want to make an admission here, which is I have not read anything that follows this. I, when when we get to the end, I will I will make spoiler free recommendations okay. of what they are. Because I I, uh, I, I kind of like wanted to accept this as this story that the, again the premise yeah. of kind of like this is a really interesting X Men story. Um, before so we will get to the yeah. end, but uh, before that, I want to talk about the time shifting in powers of ten, um, yeah. and and the fact that there is this you know ten to the zero, ten to the first, ten to the second, ten to the third, and we've got a story about kind of like assimilation into a machine intelligence and the story about uh there's the nimrod who is hilarious by the way a murderous hilarious artificial intelligence who apologizes very much for having to put you in a blender and decompose and he looks like baymax and, and, oh, yeah he looks kind of yeah. adorable he's kind of like an adorable pink <laughs> whatever and he's a murderous monster but he's nice oh, polite yeah. he's cuddly he's a cuter <laughs> nimrod than we remember from days of future past mm-hmm. but but still like a monster and and uh just uh, you know maybe sarah start with you like how did how did you like that part of it because i think that might be the most divisive it's like trying to tell uh you know it's a flashback it's a little dip into our current story and then it's two weird partially told future 
plus 100 and plus 1,000 year stories. How did it hit you, Sarah? So if I had not read them uh, the way that was intended, if I had read just House of X, just Powers of Ten, and I decided to not read one again, it would be Powers of Ten. Um, it's just, it's it was really, I'm glad that they did it the way they did where they're interwoven because otherwise I probably would not have cotton to that at all um it there's just um there's characters that are introduced that just kind of go away um you know it it's not um it doesn't have a a good place for me to keep my feet I guess um and if I didn't have those other storylines to grab onto I probably would have just been lost um but I do think the uh inevitable conclusion is really interesting and I'm glad it's there. I There's going to be a wrench in there where mutant consciousness gets absorbed and I want to be there when that happens because it's going to be crazy. One of the iconic X-Men things that, that's introduced in the far future uh, timeline is the phalanx, which was a thing that in the comics I didn't quite get. It felt too complicated and it still feels like I don't get it and it's a bit too complicated. Um, but I like that it's there for people who care about it. And when we got to the end of the miniseries and actually rereading it today, I felt better about it in retrospect where I was kind of like, okay, I've read a, I've read a lot of infographics about this <laughs> world mind consciousness stuff. And I'm like, this is, I, I think I'm a, a reasonably smart guy, but I think this is beyond me. Um, I've been thinking about sort of end games and how you, how you deal with the end of a show. Um, the Good Place is a philosophical kind of show, so it's also sort of like about what ultimately matters in life. And what I liked about the phalanx world mind, there's a brain made of quantum things at the heart of a black hole in a galaxy and all that. What I liked about it is that as we're dealing with all of these cultural issues of the present day, there's this part of the story that's like, one, you have more in common than not because you're biological entities. And if the future belongs to computers and machine intelligence and AI, um, mute, difference between mutants and humans, meh, you know, you're all biology. Yeah. And two, it kind of is saying it doesn't matter in the end anyway, right? Like like all of the all of the things you fought for, in the end, there's this other thing that is going to assimilate all of you and it's yeah. not going to matter. <laughs> right. And I was like, what? I kind of like are you, it. Why are, you, why are you not paying attention to the quantum galactus on your doorstep and, and fighting instead yeah. of that? Yeah, and also the sacrifice that is made where the librarian in that future comes to Moira and Wolverine and basically says... Um, I'm thinking of freeing you and letting you live where everybody else is going to die because I want you to be around if I don't become God. And if I do become God, um, it's fine that you're around. And they're like, we're going to kill you now and send Moira back in time with the knowledge of this timeline, which I kind of love because <laughs> it's like, aha, I have won. I have ascended into godhood. This is going to be awesome. And our X-Men, the last two X-Men, the last two mutants alive are like, yeah. We're not going to do that. We're going to try again. Um, it's it's really nice. But I did. I like the fact that it's it, I know it's weird and it's complicated and there's a lot of info dumps and it kind of doesn't matter. But I, I like what it says about sort of this is the end of time. Like, yeah, in the end, 
in the end, there is there is going to be an end to this story. But we want to write our own narrative here, and and it you know it doesn't the details don't necessarily matter. It's super weird sci fi right. stuff, but I I just kind of like it's like this is the end of the world, um, and Moira and Wolverine are like, well, I guess we've learned all we can. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. They can't prevent that. Nope. <laughs> I, I love, uh, in in retrospect, knowing how much of the info dumping is just tons and tons of red herring um, makes me like it in retrospect more. It comes off more Doctor Who-y. Um, actually, various parts of the story um, come off like end of time Doctor Who kind of stuff, yeah. causality, That's true. Uh, you know, circles and that sort of thing. Um, and the thing, the thing that... I thought that I'd kind of figured out where things were going. And then here a thousand years in the future, we realize that the real enemy is in fact, uh, not the machines. It's not the machines. It's, it's homo novissima post humanity mm. that is going to come for you eventually. It's not the machines <laughs> bending us toward the, the quantum galactus coming to eat all of existence. Talking about an amazing, subtle and and not super important for the story but an amazing 21st century twist is that moment which you know blink and you miss it but it's like oh you guys were so worried about about mutants and humans and then we got technology with gate which gave us the ability to completely rewrite everybody's dna and we created post humans and they're better than both of you so it didn't matter what (laughs) yeah no it's it's it i was thinking wow this this feels really like automation stories in the IT space right it's, now. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, uh, it's again, very Jonathan Hickman yeah. is ambitious. <laughs> so without, without spoiling anything, without spoiling anything, Jonathan Hickman, Jonathan Hickman always has a plan, unlike the Battlestar Galactica writer's room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and just in the first arc of these X-Men spinoff books and the core X-Men book, there are things that are in this miniseries that are directly consequential to how things are going in timeline 10 in Mm. fascinating ways that I didn't expect. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. But I I do like, I like, that's one of the things I like the most about Hickman is that he, he takes a big swing. He takes a big swing. So here he's taking, he's like 90 big swings happen in this, but it's, uh, you know, uh, and, and wrapping it up and I will get Moises's recommendations about where we go from here, but wrapping it up for me. And I want to hear what everybody thinks about this. Um, for me, I found this, the question was, is this a satisfying story or is it going to be one of these events where you read it and you're like, yeah, like it moved continuity along or it repaired some continuity. And like, this is an event that's not about continuity. It is about telling a new kind of X-Men story. And that's why I really found it entertaining is it has elements of the familiar, the assault on the space station, all of that wrapped around this completely recast idea about what the role of mutants are in the world. And I really enjoyed that because it was, it, you know, it was something I could appreciate not knowing about the last 15 years of X-Men continuity. And it was, I like new takes on familiar characters and it was that. And so I appreciated it. And I'm just kind of, I, I want to go around and get that kind of like final sense from everybody about um, how this worked as, as overall as something that you, you know, read either issue by issue or in a collection. Let's start with Sarah. So I haven't been this excited to read comics in a long time. So this has really made me want to go out and get those new books, uh, you know, probably when they come into trade. I've, I bought some of them, but haven't read them. Um, I, this is a place where I think it's exciting 
for me to just reinvest in these characters and see where these big swings go. Um, I, I'm really happy I read this thing. Yeah, me too. Lisa? I think the thing that I found so exciting about reading this um, and then rereading it is that it drags the foundational premises of the X-Men into the 21st century. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like how it reframes it in the context of the social issues and the social arguments that we're having now, as opposed to the ones that we were having through the 60s and the 70s. Um, I think when you are able to take something that is arguably American mythology, like, and I'll make this argument all day long, that. Uh, that comics are effectively American mythology. Um, I like when you can bring the myths into a fresh context and give us a set of characters and a set of scenarios that lets us work out these tough debates and discussions through art and through pop culture and give us a, and gives us a framework other than, you know, like the social media outrage machine or the endless news stream. I think that's fantastic. Um, I thought the art on this was exquisite. Um, I'm a little disappointed we didn't spend more time talking about the sheer bloody horror of being continually reincarnated and having to live through your own childhood and and see everything coming down the pipe again. Because <laughs> that just Moira seems like she's got the worst possible mutation. And this reads a lot like a horror movie um, with with the way her character shakes yeah. out, too. Um, and I, I appreciate that's got to be tough to write. It's got to be tough to invest in a character where you're like, oh, you're just here to suffer for like 12 issues. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but I'm excited and I'm going to get back, I think, to to buying and reading the trades. I had been veering away from a lot of what I, the, the classic tights and flights genre. And I think this will bring me back for a bit uh, so we can see if people pick up the challenges that Hickman has laid down and they run with them and take them in exciting new directions. And Moises, uh, how, how do you read it after after all of this and also throw in your recommendations for where we go from here. If you could. So I, I'd like to loop back to a word I mentioned earlier, retcon. Mm. And the reason people hate this word and what it implies is that something has been done to change everything that came before that makes something not count. And in particular, pointing directly to something Lisa was talking about the care and attention and nuance given to how horrifying this new power that we didn't know that Moira had all along what that means, like that kind of texture to it in, in that one issue earned all of it, earned all of it. And everything that we saw throughout the miniseries did not say continuity doesn't count, but it made the allowance for people who went this burden of continuity, please take it from me. I do not want more weight here. You have it. I just want to be able to read stories the way that the miniseries sets things up and the way that he's been show running things that have spun out of it and things that have been announced to me has, has been the best new breath of life in the X-Men um, because it, it feels durable. Astonishing X-Men was great. New X-Men. Great. All new X-Men. Great. But they didn't quite keep going. There was always a petering out and this is such a foundational change to this whole corner of the Marvel mythos that affects the entire Marvel uh, um, multi-world. It, 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 to me, is exactly the big kind of play that the X-Men needed. It, it isn't a big reboot saying nothing counts and we're hitting reset and we're going to retell stories. And and I loved I loved that it almost felt 
like he was specifically going, I'm not retelling Days of Future Past, and here's why. And I'm not retelling Mutant Massacre, and here's why. And I'm not retelling this and this and this, and here's why. There's always a here's why. And that's why I I, I look at this as one of the sterling examples of how retroactive continuity is how you keep things alive, keep things fresh. And as again, I, I keep quoting Lisa, I feel like I owe her a, a royalty fee at this point, um, brings the X-Men forward into the 21st century, uh, such that it's not just redoing the same old plays. Um, the other thing that I like so much about it is the grand mythological scale. Again, I'm doing nothing but, but citing Lisa at this point, uh, <laughs> professor Schmeiser. Yep. Um, she's been here I, since episode I, two, boy says, Professor Schmeiser, if if I don't get this TA position, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I mean, just little quotes, little quotes that I wrote in my notes. You have new gods now. We mentioned that earlier. Um, Something we didn't mention uh, in Life 3 when she meets Destiny, Mystique's mom. I didn't know Destiny was Mystique's mom. I didn't know Destiny was a precog mutant thing. I didn't didn't know Destiny existed. Ah, She was in Rom Space Night. That's how I know her. Uh, there you go. There we go. Okay. I thought Destiny and Mystique were actually married in at least one iteration of the X-Men, but that Who might knows? have been Who can tell? X-Men. It's, it's a comics. multiverse. Yeah, you, you know, <laughs> you never know. That, that's a chilling moment, right? Where she's like, yeah, I also see the future. And so I, I see 10 lives more, yeah. maybe 11 if you gives make the right choice at the end, but that is all. And gives her a threat, which is if you try to kill all mutants, we'll just kill you. And if we kill you before your uh, powers manifest, you're dead. Yeah, so don't do it. that. Yeah. <laughs> And then they also torture her, have Pyro torture her. Yeah, they they burn her alive slow so she can remember not to kill all mutants later. (laughs) And from then on, there were no precogs on Krakoa. (laughs) (laughs) And and all of those lives feel like fully lived out myths. We have the she reincarnates the first time and she's baby genius who grows up and then dies in a plane crash. Uh, And then Destiny has her burned alive. And then we have the Mr. and Mrs. Xavier trying to settle down and make nice until the Sentinels murder her. Um, Then we have the Legion of Superheroes one. Sarah, am I crazy or was or or was Life 5 basically like the X-Men but Legion of Superheroes in a domed city? I Um, mean... You're not wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much the thing, you know, um, Moira assassin, um, you know, the nation of Magneto, the nation of apocalypse. It, it, it feels so mythic and so grand scale um, that when Namor shows up. And, and, <laughs> I loved it when Namor showed up. <laughs> and, and, and calls Professor X little man. Go away, little man, and don't come back until you mean it. Literally hundreds of pages about mutant supremacy. And then one page is, let's call, let's call Namor because he's a mutant and he, <laughs> and he basically hangs up on them. He's like, I'm not interested in your dumb idea. Na- yeah, come <laughs> home. And Namor's like, like, Namor's like stuff it, dude. Biggest jerk, Namor. Yeah. Like, this is the thing I love is like you never have a book where Namor's not just like a complete toolbox. It's amazing. <laughs> it is. I am so glad. I'm so glad. Just that one thing, like that was like Detective Chimp and Slam Bradley showing up in King, Kingdom Come. Uh, <laughs> that was that was all I needed. Um, you know, the Mother Mold says, "If if man made me, then they are God, and you are Titans, their spoiled lineage." It is. It mm. is the grand scale for implications for all of this stuff. Hickman has said that like this is his swan song. I believe him and he is absolutely landing um landing the 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 whole thing uh, so far. Um the the quick uh, recommendation thing. So the yeah. initial wave of books that came out of this, the core X-Men book, absolutely. And yes, they're they're absolutely callbacks to things and versions of things, the post-humanism stuff, the what do we do when we do this? Um it is the core book. It is very good. Um Excalibur 
is very Excalibur feeling with not necessarily the Excalibur team members you expect. Uh, Apocalypse, Rogue, Gambit, Richter, mm. um, Jubilee, and uh, Lockheed shows up. So Lockheed is in there. Love it. Isn't Psylocke in that one? Psylocke. Uh, not Psylocke. Elizabeth Braddock. Uh, oh. Psylocke and Elizabeth Braddock are separate people now. Yeah. That whole thing. <laughs> oh, X-Men never change. <laughs> the purple-haired uh, uh, upper-crossed white lady, she, she is now Captain Britain. And Psylocke is uh, is the is the woman whose body uh, Betsy Braddock took over for decades in in our time and like a decade in in Marvel time. Um, Excalibur is is it is very Excalibur. If you look at it and you go, I don't recognize any of those people. Where's Megan? You're fine. It's it is very much Excalibur. Um, Marauders is the to me the dark horse among them where it is Captain Kate Pride on the high seas. For some reason, Kate Pride cannot go through the Krakoa gates. Oh, interesting. Oh, wow. And it does tie into, like, if you are a Kitty Pride super fan, it ties into continuity-based stuff that that you will be reminded of. And I am. Um, by the way, Moises, I am. So, yeah, <laughs> you've do. got Storm, you got Pyro, you got Iceman, you got Bishop. Um, it is it is Emma 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 Frost, the White Queen, uh, recruiting Kate Pride to be the Red Queen of the Hellfire Club, and it's so <laughs> good. It is so it is the Kitty Pride book, and it is so good. Um, New Mutants, I am torn on. Um, it it is kind of an all star thing of some of the original New Mutants, like Cannonball. Like they have to go into space and go get Cannonball. And then there are some like Xavier school kids that show up and a bunch of different characters that have been associated with new mutants as a book are in this book. There's some troubling racial stuff that shows up where there's this like drug dealing criminal dude. And there's, there's legit fridging in, in the new mutants book to the point that they've gotten to. So I started out loving it and now I don't know how I feel about it. Um, Fallen angels is the Psylocke book. And the art is not to my taste. And it's the one that I think people most commonly are like, I couldn't, I couldn't get over the art. I couldn't do it. Um, it is also going on hiatus in favor of another book, but it's apparently coming back at some point in some way or another. And, and of the original six, uh, I left one of my favorite for last, which is X-Force, which people have commonly shorthanded to. It's the mutant CIA. You've got the, um, you've got the Wetworks black ops and you've got the counterintelligence, uh, side of this organization. And in the book, they even address, um, why, why it shouldn't be referred to by the name of a, a human construct, um, <laughs> that, that, that it should be referred to as what they need for it. Um, and you know, there's, there's some, there's some, there's some really weird stuff in there and forge forge has been playing with Krakoan biotech in interesting ways. Um, and he's really enjoying himself. Uh, creating weapons out of like plant things. Um, and then books they've announced that are in the process of launching in February, a Wolverine solo book, an X-Men Fantastic Four miniseries written by Chip Zdarsky, um, huh. a series of giant size X-Men one shots, uh, one about Gene and Emma, one about Magneto, one about Nightcrawler, a Cable book. Uh, recently in the comics, Cable became a young kid Cable. And so it's about him. Uh, and the Mr. Sinister book. Hellions. When Mr. Sinister, Mr. Sinister has tasked himself with finding a purpose for mutant kind's most dangerous outcasts, wild child, nanny, orphan maker, empath, and scalp hunter, and Havoc and Psylocke are on hand to help out. 
Is um, this the really catty Mr. Sinister I that we got? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's got to be, right? He was my yeah. favorite Sassy part. Mr. Sinister. Yeah, oh Sassy God, Mr. Sinister. One of the highlights of the, the, the whole beard. book is... Uh, Why don't I have a cloak? <laughs> <laughs> I need a cape. <laughs> and then the last two the last two are ones that I'm really, uh, honestly, uh, I, I think, uh, anticipating uh, the most. And that's a new X Factor book where X Factor investigations, as you may remember them, in the spirit of that, uh, there needs to be a team that investigates mutant deaths to make sure that somebody is actually dead before they revive them. Mm. And if they were killed, under what circumstances were they killed if, if it isn't clearly known? And then the other one, Children of the Atom, is a team of young mutants we've never seen before. And just the cover image uh, has me fascinated and wondering uh, what the book is going to be about. It's one of those where I'm like, okay, I am sold on the, on the log line and the splash art. Uh, give me, give me this, uh, this, th- these are new mutants who are not necessarily super on board with being told what to do and how they're supposed to be. Uh, and, and that is one of my favorite styles of X-Men. Um, I, I, like of all the books that have spun out of this, that are being referred to as the Dawn of X books, I don't think any of them are bad just because I didn't love huh. fallen angels. Uh, I, I, I still think it's worth checking out if you want, you know, kind of a, like, uh, you know, running side missions kind of a thing. Um, there, I, I am shocked to be saying that Marvel did not foul up a single part of this launch. It's all really good. All right. Well, this has been great. The comic book club, one of the things that I I liked from episode two until now, the idea that we give you something that you could buy as a single book and read instead of having to go and hunt down issues. And uh, if you like the X-Men, this might be a thing worth trying. Uh, Thank you to my panel. I'd like to thank them now before we say goodbye. Lisa Schmeiser, thank you as always. Thank you for having me. This has been fantastic. Yep. This was a lot of fun. Moises Chuyan, thank you. I mean, I could talk for an hour about mutant soul redundancy across mm. uh, a cloud NAS storage. I'm a little uh, concerned about that. So I, I'm glad yeah. X Factor Investigations is on the case. That's good to know. And Sarah Gardner, um, who you can listen to on the Good Place uh, podcast in the TV podcast here at The Incomparable and find her in our Slack uh, for members where she's very, very popular because she's so nice. Um, Sarah, oh. thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Good night, guys. And good night to everybody out there. And goodbye. It might not be night where you are. Who knows? Uh, We will see you next week with another episode of The Incomparable. What will it be about? I don't know. Uh, You'll have to tune in to find out. It won't be about the same thing as episode three was, probably. Uh, But it will be episode 503. It's a whole new world out there. And Jason, if I can urge everyone, please make more mutants. Make more mutants. You. Kill no humans. Make more mutants. Love this land. Make make, make more mutants. Murder no man. Respect this. Love this island.